one and all to our second cottage meeting series. This is a series of 12 classes. We had our first class last week and um, anchored in hope. And today we're discussing, let's see that first slide. There's no place like home. It's so fun to see mamas from coast to coast, the East Coast to California. My name is Julene Jackson and I'm with Moms for America. Z uh, and Tressie, Tressie from Texas and Z from Colorado do kind of our behind the scenes uh, work in moderating and and, uh, and and dealing with our cottage meetings and education and membership. So I'm so glad to have them. Thank you, dear ladies. I am a mama of five children. Most of my children are out of the house. One lives at home now ranging from 28 down to 15. I actually have had seven children, two little sons in the heavens. They're my favorite. I just feel their little influence in our family cheering me on. Uh, and so I, I just, it was hard to give them back to God, but now they're my greatest gifts because they help me from the other side. That's kind of how I, I look at it. Well, um, let's see that next slide. I just flew in from Los Angeles. So I live in Washington, DC, and I have a boy who's almost 25. He's, he's just had his hair braided last night. I'm gonna tell you about that. Uh, called me a few days ago and he said, mama, so this is a boy who's been in the NBA uh, six years and he's, he's wanting to transition out of the NBA. So he is, there's some uncertainty in his life right now. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people think he's crazy for, for doing that because there's teams that want him to play, but he has just kind of had it with that lifestyle. And he is some interesting opportunities are presenting themselves. And he asked me if I would go and be a part of something he was involved in. I didn't really even understand what it was. It was a fashion show for a designer, Jerry Lorenzo, who I wasn't really even familiar with. <laughs> because I get all my clothes at the thrift store so I don't follow fashion designers but Frankie was a model in this fashion show at the Hollywood Bowl in the hills of Hollywood in Los Angeles I don't know if any of you have ever gone this is a hundred year old outdoor auditorium where like you know very iconic I guess all kind of famous people throughout hundred years have performed there and it's in these hills it's a it was a magnificent setting and, um, and so it was so interesting in this fashion show, there was 50 models that they flew in from all around the world. And, and this designer met my boy a few years ago and um, has taken a liking to him and my, my boy likes fashion. So he asked Frank if he'd be in this, this fashion show. And um, it's interesting, right before the fashion show, this, um, he, he's, he started with a, a clip from a movie of the, um, talking about men that were going to go off to war and uh, it, it sounded like revolutionary or civil war clip and and the, the brand of clothing that this um, Jerry Lorenzo designer makes is called fear of God and he, th this clip so now there's like 10,000 people right they're sitting there and they're all the and the show is an hour and a half late so I got to watch people that I even recognized from TV. They were, I think all the A-listers were there. I read an article about it, Dave. Very famous people. And, but people that I don't always think as being very godly in that entertainment world. So, so they start this fashion show with about a two minute dialogue clip from this movie about these men going off to war, but they didn't need to fear because God had them and all, all would be taken care of regardless. And instantly there was a spirit that was brought into this uh, outdoor arena with these 10,000 people that 
from the entertainment industry that, you know, don't personify a godly godliness most times. And then at the end of the show, he played um, America the Beautiful and then fireworks went off behind that that bold dome there. And I live in Washington, D.C., so I see fireworks every year, pretty spectacular over the mall. And I dare say, these are the, I think, the best fireworks I've ever seen. And you just felt that patriotism. And I now I know why my son loves this man, because he's a deeply devout man, and he loves America. He's a Black man. And um, and he's he's incredibly successful, like one of the top designers now in America. And he reminded me that he did not miss an opportunity to bear witness of God before a crowd that might not really have been that receptive, you know, but he has the clout now and he does not care. And it made me think of mothers and what we talked about last week. Let's see that next slide. We couldn't really get it. Well, one of, one of those guys is my boy. <laughs> okay, next slide. I, I, I wish I had had a better picture. Oh, wow. Oh, goodness sake. Okay, there he is. Well, that, that was kind of cute. He didn't, he didn't have, um, I didn't realize it was video. He, he had these shorts on. And the, another interesting thing about these clothes, they were incredibly modest. And so, um, and my, there's so much I could tell you about this designer, how he has risen to the top, being a godly man in an ungodly environment and how he has done that. But that will have to be saved for another time. Because what it reminded me because this man used the clout that he had and the opportunity he had to bear witness, this is what we do as mothers. We, we, if we're gonna keep our kids anchored in hope, we can't miss those opportunities to lead them to God, to stay optimistic and confident and anchor them in God and in hope. And, and, and that will be a stabilizing influence. It, when that man opened uh, the fashion show with that clip about God, it changed the tone uh, of that environment almost instantly. And that's what we do as mothers. You know, when we choose not to go negative, but when we go positive and then remind them that God has his children. So, you know, even though this was a time of uncertainty in my boy's life, it, he wanted mama there, I think, because he knew that I helped anchor him in, in who he is. And, and as we anchor these kids, it prepares them to be able to go out in that world and to fight those battles and to be the person that, you know, God needs them to be. And so how do we do that? We'll just quickly remind, let's see the next slide. How do we stay anchored in hope? We talked about this last week. We look to God. Uh, for our freedoms and solutions and healing, not government, not DC, not the president. We keep those kids close. So then when they tell you, mama, can you come? Can you please fly out here? And I know you're going to, you're only going to be here 36 hours, but I need you. <laughs> we go, we have that kind of relationship where we, we do the a little um, Debbie from uh, our Gammy. I keep wanting to say you're from Illinois, but maybe it's Ohio. She, she, I don't know if you heard, but just before we got on the calls, she said her children, her grandchildren every night uh, uh, call her and she just, they just check in and want to just talk to her a little bit. I mean, that's how, you know, grandmas, we can stay close to these grandkids, you, you know, even if they live in other states. That was such a darling example, uh, Debbie, you gave of us just before our class started. And then we continue to learn those things that are going to shore our kids up so they can, you know, maintain these ideals that our founders gave us. That's why we you come on class. This is why we learn the Constitution. We learn these stories and miracles of America. We stay 
current in current events and then God will put it in our heart what to do. Um, I've got a darling mama, Amanda, who gave us our prayer today. Um, like 10 years ago, Amanda and I attended cottage meetings together. And Amanda is an example to me of a mama who has done these things to stay anchored in hope. Amanda, can you come off right now? Can, can we get, I, I want Amanda to talk just for a minute. Can you share with us how you have done, you know, these points to stay anchored in hope? What kind of impact it had on you as a mother, uh, as a wife, as a, you know, in your communities and in your family? Yeah. Um, so am I, uh, can you hear you me? Are. You're good. Okay. Um, so like you said, we did these classes just over 10 years ago. Um, I only had three little kids at the time and now I have seven. And, um, I can honestly say that these, these cottage meetings and the, um, healing of America courses changed my life and how I was going to parent and just kind of the direction I was going with my family. And, I can say that for sure that there is power in being a mother because not that my husband wasn't on the same page, but it wasn't really on his radar. And now he is very much like he supports completely. He's actually a delegate in our district. He um, attended our county convention last week. He's attending our state convention to, on Saturday. So um, it's just kind of changed the course of our lives. We've chosen to be really involved um, in our community. And then it's also affected where and how we've schooled our children. Um, but we really do follow those points uh, from Ezra Taft Benson on making family time, uh, quality family time, um, looking to God as our source in all that we do and really studying the constitution. I now have taught the Healing of America seminars three times in my home. Um, and that has just changed just even my neighborhood and, and helped women to feel motivated to teach their families and their kids, because I don't know. I mean, for me, I honestly believe it's our children that are going to make the biggest difference. And if they don't know these things, how will they be able to make that difference? So I don't know if that's just kind of where we've gone, um, ever since the, those first classes. Well, we, we could just end our class today. I mean, that is a high. Oh my gosh. So you can see that knowledge really did become transformational in your life as a, as a woman, yeah. a, a wife, a mother, and even, so you have commute, you have cottage meetings in your neighborhood where you, and did you feel like qualified and all up to speed to teach the healing? No. <laughs> No, it's very much out of my comfort zone. I, I do not like to speak in front of people. It's really hard for me, but I just felt like it was extremely important that people knew, knew about our founding and that, I mean, that these founders were inspired by God, that this was a divine mission. And I just felt like people need to know that it's not taught anymore in our schools. Mm -hmm. um, people just don't know. And if we don't know where we've come from, how do we keep moving forward yeah. and stay a moral people? So it not only impacted you, your marriage, look what your man is doing now because of your example, your children and your neighborhood, the power of gathering women together, learning things, and then the women going out and being that force for good in their sphere of influence. Oh, yeah. Amanda, I mean, I mean you, uh, that's just so beautiful and inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing, Amanda. Thank You're you so welcome. Uh-huh. So really, as, as we do those things, we stay anchored in hope, and it helps us to be able to combat that chaotic, confusing narratives that, you know, are being uh, 
bombarded upon us and certainly our children in the schools and universities, TVs, movies, social media. My husband and I were in New York City a few weeks ago and uh, we went to a Broadway show and you know I, I'm learning uh, Broadway shows are hit or miss but I thought this one was going to be good. Some like it hot because it's a remake from the old like 1950s Tony Curtis, you know, two dudes running from the mafia so they dress up as women and join the girl band. Well, the show about halfway through after intermission took a, a very bad turn. And the last half was a commercial for transgenderism. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. So, you know, imagine how if I feel it's piled on me, what our children are. And they're just kind of gullible if, if, if we are not teaching them certain ideas and principles as their mothers and their grandmothers. Winston Churchill said, so how do we combat, you know, all this that is, is being thrown at our children? Let's see that next slide. Winston Churchill, the great prime minister, we talked about this last week. He said it is around the family and the home that all the greatest virtues, do we have that slide? All the greatest virtues, the most dominating virtues. This is the Winston Churchill slide, Tressie. Virtues of Winston Churchill, uh, <laughs> dominating oh, virtues of human society are created and strengthened and maintained. Thank you, Tressie. So it is in our homes where our the character of our children are molded, where the patterns are formed, where the habits are established. There truly is no place like home. George Washington and Abraham Lincoln both said uh, everything that I am, all that I am is because of my angel mother. And, uh, and I remember my mom quoting that. And when my mom had died, I was a young girl. I was 24 years old. We had that put on her little tombstone, our angel mother. That's how I felt, how those founding fathers, I bet that's how so many of you, the teachings that took place in your childhood home, you know, has helped make you the woman uh, that you are. So this is what we're going to discuss today, the role of the home and the family in society. And my home is so significant. And it is there at home where really we shape the foundations of faith, virtue, and patriotism. Those are known as the pillars of liberty, the patterns and pillars of liberty through faith, uh, virtue, and patriotism. So if home is the center of society, then women are at the center of the home. And that is where we teach and we nurture it, what we do in that home really does become the future of America. So if we want freedom and liberty to prevail, mamas, grandmothers, it's got to, it's got to prevail within the four walls. Let's see that next slide. There's a great little video. I won't show it. It's called Liberty at Begins at Home. It'll be on the resource page that you always get that's emailed a few days after our class. But it's interesting. It would be fun to show it to your children. It's a little vignette of a woman who gets on a plane thinking she's going to uh, Fayette, Arkansas, but instead goes to Fayette, North Carolina. And the question is posed, how in the world do you go to the wrong place? Get on the, the, the I mean, some procedures, procedures were, were uh, you know, not followed to be able to and I, I know this because two years ago, my son thought he was coming to join their family at a little beach trip in Wilmington, uh, uh, Delaware, and he ended up going to Wilmington, North Carolina. How did he get, you know, didn't see it on his ticket or how did he get past the, the agent at the, the gate? Or, and, and when all the announcements, when you sit down, I just got off the plane. They tell you 10 times where you're going. So the interesting thing is, you know, obviously they, they tuned out. They, they checked out, uh, certain people <laughs> checked out and, and look what happened. So the whole idea uh, 
of this concept is our, our founding fathers knew that, you know, we might check out. So they left a pattern of inspired documents to follow, like a pattern to follow uh, that would have lasting results if we would follow it. It's kind of like the advanced cro um, crocheter in this video. It talks about how she's so confident in her ability to make little doilies that she doesn't need a pattern. And she just ends up with a mismatched wad of string. And maybe that is what happened because we were so successful living under these patterns of liberty and freedom and had so much success. We began to veer away from them because, because of our success. And so, um, in the next, uh, let's see that next slide. In the raising of the next generation of patriots, remember that little book? Uh, well, I'll show you what it looks like here. In chapter two, we talked about it last week. This is a great little book you can buy on our store. I think the cover is different now. But it talks about how our founders gave us this garden of liberty and they left detailed notes in advance advice in the way of, you know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and all their writings. George Washington wrote a book on civility. Uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, cut out clippings of Jesus sayings and made his own little Jefferson Bible. And Benjamin Franklin wrote a book on the 13 virtues. And James Madison took copious notes of the Constitution. In, in their writings, they left these notes and they told us about the so-called pests and bugs to be on guard for. They described the symptoms of disease and how to treat it before it would cause too much damage. In their writings, they also focused on soil preparation. They knew that the secret behind this miracle of America had everything to do with our hearts and the character of her citizens. Let's see that next slide, Tressie. In principle two in the 5,000 year leap, remember these 28 principles that our founders used to establish this land? Right off the bat, principle number two says the a free people cannot survive under a Republican constitution unless they remain virtuous and morally strong. The founders knew that we could never maintain this government of free freedom if the people weren't tied into God and godly law. And so, uh, you know, how, how, do, how do we produce virtuous and morally strong children, citizens? Well, to me, it means we've got to start in the home. How do we teach them to be honest and true and upright? The best way to teach them these things is to teach them in the home. I have learned that, you know, those simple routines that develop these kind of attributes cannot be underestimated. In our supplemental material in lesson number two today, there's an article called Simplicity, Simplicity with Perseverance. And we're reminded that out of these small and simple things, great things come to pass. It's not easy, mamas, I know, to bring the kids together for dinner every night or to gather them in the morning or at night for family prayer or to have a little devotional at some point throughout the day where you uh, teach them a Bible story or read them a, you know, a story from American history. But if you will, I promise you, in those small, consistent moments in activities, you will anchor those children and those grandchildren, and you will anchor them with a desire to want to live freely according to their, you know, convictions and consciousness and the values that you are instilling. So um, our little 24-year-old boy, Frankie, the basketball player, has been home uh, the last couple of weeks, and I was just with him. But he, he reminded me again, he said, Mama... I just couldn't do what those other guys were doing in the NBA that has been a um, part of my world for six years now and feel good about it. 
he said, you taught us to love God. And I just couldn't do certain things and feel good about it. And it was, it was a kind of a lonely walk for him, but it, it, those anchorings in the home, when I swore he was asleep, when I was teaching him all these things, rose up to bless him. And it just did not feel good to his soul to, you know, stand and go where uh, some of these players, a lot of these players went. And so um, Frederick Douglass, I have invited Frederick Douglass, if you're wondering who this handsome black fellow next to Jesus is uh, tonight, he's Frederick Douglass um, into our class. This hangs in my husband's office. Uh, Frederick Douglass said, let's see that next slide. It is easier to build a strong, to build strong children than to repair broken men. I mean, why spend all our time trying to fix broken men in Washington, DC and broken men and women when we can exert our energies building strong children who will then go and transform <laughs> Washington, DC and the world. So Frederick Douglass is our hero. Uh, we have spoken and taught about him in our home for years and, and, and through our family devotionals. So we made our children familiar with these courageous and stable and strong heroes uh, from history. And, and that he's, he, particularly, and men like him, Booker T. Washington, were men that we wanted to emulate and aspire, who they focused on the victories that they had in their life, not grievances or victimhood like so many people are peddling today. They looked for opportunity instead of oppression. Now, Frederick Douglass was born a slave, but he would go on to become a great social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, statesman, and a lover of the Constitution. He said the Constitution was a pro-freedom document where it said all men are created equal and that all men are endowed with inalienable rights, God-given rights. As a, a young child, as a young slave child, he was taken from his mama, there's wonderful Frederick, at a very young age, and he only had just a few little memories of his mother. Now, she lived miles away on another plantation, and he, these few little memories he has of her, um, uh, she apparently would walk half the night uh, to to be with him where he was living and she would lay down with him in the middle of the night and she would call him my little Valentine and he never knew uh, what his birthday was but he thinks it must have been Valentine Day because she he remembers his mama calling uh, him her little Valentine. So Frederick Douglass would escape from slavery as a young man and then he would go on to become this great national leader and President Lincoln, until he met Frederick Douglass, wanted to free the slaves, but he wanted to move all the slaves to the Caribbean. But when he met Frederick, it changed his mind and he realized that black people had a great intelligence and capacity and need to be free and independent and contributing American citizens. Let's see that next slide, uh, Tressie. So Frederick Douglass's home stands in Anacostia today uh, in Washington, DC, and it's on a high hill and it's called Cedar Hill and it overlooks the Capitol. And it's a magnificent, beautiful building. And there's a little visitor center and you can take tours of the original home. And we've taken our kids there and you just feel the spirit of this man as you walk these halls and gaze into his office and library, put it on your bucket list when you come to Washington DC to go visit this Frederick Douglass home. Now he was married to Anna, she was a free black woman and they would go on to have five children. And when she died, 
uh, Frederick uh, would get remarry uh, later on in his older years. And I, this is fun for me because I'm in a interracial inter marriage. But he would say, he said, my first marriage was to someone the color of my mother. And my second marriage was to someone of the color of my father. Do you understand that? I'm sure Frederick Douglass's father was the plant plantation owner, a white man. So anyways, um, that is Frederick Douglass. So yes, Frederick Douglass, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken man and now broken, broken men. It will require time, sweat, tears, and commitment like none other, but it will bring the dividends needed to maintain this republic. So I, um, let's see here, want to recommend, okay, let's see the next slide. I want to recommend so see that story I just told of Frederick Douglass? Those are the kind of stories you teach in your little devotionals or when you're with your children. And then if you can, you take them to the sites and it, you know, these are these examples of these men and women well up in them. I want to really recommend to you watching this uh, 2013 Ben Carson speech during um, the National Day of Prayer in Washington, DC. Now this was 10 years ago and um, uh, I think Tressie will put this link in the chat there, but this is when President Obama was the president and uh, Biden was the vice president and Michelle uh, was also there in attendance that day. And Ben Carson spoke on education and the influence of his mother and a return to principles and values that made America the freest and most prosperous nation on the earth. This speech, which was 27 minutes, <clears throat> went viral. I just watched it again the other day. It's wonderful. At about the seven minute mark, he talks about his mama and it's really funny and sweet. Now, after this speech, many people lashed out at, at his words and they said that it was inappropriate that he spoke against you know, some of Obama's policies of freedom and liberty, wanting freedom and liberty right in front of the president. And I love Ben Carson's response to this. He said, I always pray when I give a speech and I ask God to give me the right thing to say. It is very rare nowadays for people to speak truth. Everybody just wants to get along. And in the meantime, the fabric of our nation is being destroyed, was his response. So watch this tomorrow if you can. It's 27 minutes. I didn't find any of it uh, controversial. I found it completely motivating and, and uh, patriotic. So um, let's see the next slide. We met uh, Ben Carson a few years ago at the Bible Museum. Oh, it, that is my most favorite museum in Washington, D.C., because <laughs> it talks all it's, it's the only museum that gets the founding fathers and the bible and god right and then and, and they shouldn't it's privately owned so we got a chance to talk to uh, ben carson and he's getting a little older there but he's a wonderful man we saw him at the airport maybe a few months after this and i went over and talked to him and he said why aren't you taking a private jet and he said, well, what are you talking about? He said, I'm just an old retired government worker. He was just there with his little wife getting on plane coach, just like everybody else. But he's been such a great public servant. Dr. Carson was the head of the pediatric neurosurgery at age 33, if you can imagine that, at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. He was the first uh, doctor to separate conjoined twins at the back of the neck. And he actually uh, would run for office president in 2016 and ultimately was the head of um, uh, housing and urban development under President Trump. Now, let's see that next slide. Um, ben Carson came from an impoverished uh, home, the projects of the inner city Detroit. 
I had a boy who lived in Detroit, Frankie, he played for the Detroit Pistons. Sorry, I'm always talking about Frank, but he's just been home a lot. So every time I would, uh, he lived there for three years, two, three years. And every time I would go to Detroit, oh, like there was so many streets and schools and libraries um, named after Ben Carson. They are proud of their native son. But as a young boy, he was raised in the inner city of Detroit. And um, his little mama was one of 26 or 24 children and she got married at 13. But she divorced her husband when she learned, she learned that he was a bigamist. And so she stayed single and raised those two little boys the rest of her life. And she worked many jobs. During the summer, um, she wouldn't allow the boys to watch hardly any TV. She would make them go to the Detroit library, get two books and write reports, two reports every single week. Now, Ben at the time didn't know, but his mother was was illiterate. So, but she would take those little pens and, and even highlight highlighters, he said, and she would mark it up like she was reading the reports. But what happened because of her influence and her doing this, uh, Ben Carson went from hating reading to loving reading. He said, you can go anywhere with a book. You can escape dire poverty and overcome prejudices. He learned how to control his emotions through reading. And he went from being the worst student in the class to the best student by the time that he graduated. He went on, let's see that next slide, Tressie. He went on to write a wonderful book entitled Gifted Hands about how he overcame these obstacles to become this renowned brain surgeon and how his mama never lost faith in him and how she helped grow his imagination and give him the courage to follow uh, opportunities that she never had. This movie actually was made into a wonderful movie starring a Cuba Gooding. I'd watched it with my kids and this would be a wonderful movie night to watch with your children, pop some popcorn and then have a good discussion. Let's see the next slide. He also wrote another book entitled America of the Beautiful and which he calls upon all of us to use our God-given talents to improve our lives and our communities, our nation, and our world, you know that the foundation of these principles and ideas were laid by his mother who established these patterns and habits in him that shaped his life and helped determine his destiny. Okay, let's see the next slide. In the um, 5,000 year leap, there's a principle number 26 that says the core unit that determines the strength of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect its integrity. Mamas, grandmothers, I want to really challenge you to memorize these 28 principles. Let's see the next slide. You, I did this by uh, getting a little bookmark <laughs> for like $5, you can get 500 of them from the National Center for Constitutional Studies. And you just put the bookmarks in all your books and in all your purses and in every car and just, just you know, pluck off a little principle once a week and then review them. But this principle, the principle number 26, let's go back to that one, Tressie, if we can, is probably the most repeated principle that I use because our founding fathers knew that the secret to maintaining this government, this Republican government based on God's law, with strong families. You have strong families, you'll have strong societies, you have strong societies, you'll have a strong nation. So imagine if you went uh, at your next school board meeting, you know, you, you brought forth that uh, principle and you shared with them principle 21 that said, look, our founder fathers knew that the only way we'd maintain the freedom 
to educate our children and, and to determine, you know, things in our community is if we had strong local self-government where we determine our standards of decency and morality. That's principle 21. Or and then you could say, and that's why it's important. Did you know in the Northwest Ordinance? Uh, in 1787, the founders wanted not only knowledge, but religion and morality taught in the school systems. And then you could hit them with principle number four, that there's no way a free people can survive without religion. And we need to instill these godly principles back. So see, you're speaking now on principle and not on you know fear or anger or that kind of emotion. And when you speak on principle, you speak with greater authority because these principles are true and they're eternal. And, and principles transcend party and politics. So uh, you can see why I love these principles. We actually have a 12-week, 5,000-yearly class that we uh, presented last year. You can watch them all recorded. I might teach a live class again in the fall. Okay, let's see the next slide there. Pressy. Uh, let's see what the Bible has to say about this week, about, uh, you know, liberty and why it's important. Let's go to the, that next slide, why liberty is important to God. Let's go back to our Bible verse. There you go. Thanks, Tressie. In James 1.25, God tells us about this perfect law of liberty that he's given us, and it requires us to be doers of the work. I think he was saying right there, hey, look. Freedom is not going to be free. You know, you've got to be doers to maintain this perfect law of liberty. In Galatians 5.13, he talks about you have been called into liberty. Therefore, you must serve and love one another. If we're going to maintain environments of liberty, if we're going to, you know, be able to defend it and fight for it and ensure we have it, we have to love one another. I think it's so easy nowadays to, you know, consider people that have different opinions than us as enemies. And I actually, I, I sometimes use that reference a lot, enemies of freedom, because I, I think that's a kindlier word to say than some, some, you know, names that people give people that have conflicting ideas. But we really can't, you know, if, if we carry this animosity and disdain for people, we're not going to be able to maintain an environment of virtue and godliness and stability. And so, you know, I, starting in 2023 on my, I have a vision board. One of my um, goals was to pray every single day for more charity in my heart for people. I live in Washington, DC. Mostly everybody thinks differently than I do. But, you know, Satan would want to divide us and want to place, you know, divisions and walls between us. And so it's important that we continue God's telling us in Galatians to love and serve one another. I love the scripture in Titus. He's, he talks to young women. He says, be sober, women. Love your husbands and your children. Now, what does that have to do with liberty? Well, Amanda a Templeman, who spoke just a, a, a few minutes ago, said how it impacted, you know, to, to bring these beautiful concepts and teachings into her home. It impacted her marriage. It impacted her children. When we are creating strong marriages and strong families, we're creating a strong environment for freedom, right? Strong families, strong societies, a strong nation. Leviticus 10, 11 talks about teach your children the statutes which the Lord gave Moses. Teach the laws, he's saying statutes are laws, which God gave to Moses, God's law. Teach the commandments is what he's saying, and that's best done in the homes. 
You know, your our kids will be less inclined to want to lie and cheat and steal and kill if we're teaching them uh, early on and grandmothers, if you're teaching, taking the opportunity when your grandchildren are with you. It was so funny. I had a conversation last week. We were on the way to the baseball game in uh, the Baltimore Orioles. And we had Frankie, our you know, basketball player with us. And we had our little seven-year-old nephew. And somehow Frankie told the story of how one time he stole something from the store. And he felt so guilty and there was Mentos and I found it in his dresser drawer and he said that dad gave it to him but he, he felt so bad for stealing and then lying that the Mentos didn't even taste good and then I did a true confessions in the car on the way to the baseball game I said I stole I think a thing of Smarties when I was a kid and I ate it in the dark because I was so afraid my mom you know I felt so bad and then the little seven-year-old nephew said oh I, I stole a lot and then we just started laughing. But he said, but my dad caught me. And my dad said, don't ever do that again. And since my dad told me not to do it, I don't steal anymore. And we just laughed, but it was so precious because all of us were rooted. We knew it was wrong because our, our mothers, our daddies had taught us it was wrong. And we remember the emotion, uh, you know, of doing something against what we knew, you know, our moms and dads had taught us. It's powerful. God knew that when we teach these things, when these children are young, it will stay with them and lay a foundation for them. It will haunt them if they steal. It will be like Frankie in the NBA. If he does certain things, he will feel terrible about it because that foundation had been laid. Doesn't mean that they won't go off and experiment and try some things in the world, but they, they will know that it's wrong. It will not set well in their soul. And then in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. God tells us to teach your children in your houses. And when you walk with them and, and lay, lay them down and rise them up, teach your children these things to love God, to love liberty, teach them in your homes. Okay, let's see the next slide. There's an article in the supplemental material of lesson number two called Liberty Begins at Home. And it tells us about how uh, after that long hot summer in Philadelphia of 1787 from May to September, what happened there with the debates and ne negotiations, that was our constitutional convention. And Benjamin Franklin was coming out when they had just signed the document leaving Independence Hall there in Philly. And there was a woman outside and she asked him, sir, what did you give us? And to which uh, uh, Mr. Franklin replied, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. How profound those words were from Benjamin Franklin, because he knew keeping what they had given us was going to be hard work, that we were going to need to have a firm understanding of liberty and an unwavering commitment to uh, this cause and to God's laws. Look, our, our founding fathers knew the oppression of King George the third uh, uh, living under that monarchy. They had just broken away, you know, just, you know, several years earlier uh, through the Revolutionary War. But they also knew the failing of democracy. A democracy is where majority rules and democracies are often based on feelings. While, you know, most of the world looks to America as a symbol of democracy because our voice, the voice is so preeminent as we come together and vote, and that is a democratic process. But the secret to our success is the combination of self-governance and uh, repub re representative leadership. America is not a democracy, but it's a democratic republic 
we, we collectively gather democratically to vote and then we vote representatives in who represent us. This is a divinely perfect combination to provoke, promote freedom and individual rights. And we took this from Moses in Exodus 18. He, he, Moses was the first creative representative government when he led those children across the wilderness 40 years and he made captains of 10 families and then captains of 50 and the captains of a thousand and of 10,000 and that most of the problems were handled at that local level because that's where people were closest to the problems and best knew uh, how to solve those problems. Today, many of us are blaming the predicament that our country is in on the president or Congress or government or the police or racism or social media or intolerance. I mean, we've got all kinds of people that we can point fingers to. But really, mothers, to get rid of the garden of noxious weeds, we can't just cut them at the stem and, and you know, maybe vote different people in every couple of years. We have to go to the root. Maybe the problem is not an out of control government. Maybe the problem is that Americans are not acting like Americans. We are not embracing our divine heritage of liberty. We don't know the magnificent providential history of God's hand in establishing this land. And we're not rising up and doing our civic duty. The harsh reality is if we like what is going on in our nation right now, we only have us to blame. You know, um, there are many forces out there that are working against us. We know that. But in the end, we are to be the keepers of the flame. And if the schools aren't teaching what our, you know, what, what we want taught to our children, or if morality and values are not, you know, not being infused in, in areas that we feel that they should, we've got to be up and doing something about it. Let's see that next slide, Tressie. So this is a picture of um, oh, our state liaison from New Jersey. Her name is Gerald Maglia. She's a grandmother. She lives in New Jersey. I was in uh, New York City with my husband, Al, uh, last year, and she came in and met us and bought dinner for us. It was so wonderful. She, every, I, I just talked to her two days ago. She's doing amazing things. She's she went through the cottage meetings and the Healing of America series and just felt God putting on her heart, you know, when I always say, okay, ladies, God will let you know what to do. She wrote a whole cur curriculum uh, in Newark for the one of the lowest graduating high schools because that's the school that her mama went to. And um, it was called Healthy Relationships. And they were so desperate, they accepted the, uh, uh, all, all the kids in the health classes were taught her curriculum, this just happened two years ago, where she taught them uh, to uh, graduate and get a job, get married, and then have children. And if they will do that, there is a less than 2% chance of them living in poverty. She said now that they've been teaching this curriculum, it's now in three school districts. Now that they've been teaching this uh, curriculum, they have some data over 150 kids from that first pilot school that she went to last year are, are uh, applied for college and are, are now going to college. And these were high risk kids that were not even going to graduate. This is what this beautiful mama did. And she told me, I mean, I can just go on and on, but she said, Jolene, since 2007, Every Saturday I go from 8.30 to 11.30 and I stand out in front of an abortion clinic 
in my town and she hands out literature and she prays and it's, she, she goes with a, a group of people and, um, and they pray and as women are come, there's about 50 to 70 women that come in for abortions on, on the Saturday. And she said that they save anywhere from two to 10 babies every single Saturday women as they talk to them and, 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 and tell them they, they'll offer for free uh, sonograms, it's been shown if you can get a woman to, to um, have a sonogram of her baby, if she's and, uh, contemplating abortion, she will not abort that baby. And so Gerald had been doing that and then she came uh, through our cottage meetings and she started a cottage meeting. And now that group is going to have a, um, a rally in a few weeks at the State House in Trenton, New Jersey, to rally against some of the curriculum that's being taught to their children there. And so this is when I say we gotta rise up and do something. And she's so humble when I'm I almost like, Gerald, I can't believe it. She's like, oh Jolene, it's really not anything. But as she tells me about it, it's so incredibly inspiring to me, you know, that if we don't like what's going on then we got to do something, do something, even if we just do something within the four walls of our home. So let's see the next slide here. For years, uh, you've heard me, or you will hear me talk about this devotional that we've had in our home in the morning time. And most of the kids are gone now. Oh, let's see. Okay, yeah, that, that's good. I'm missing one picture. It was a picture of my husband leading the devotional. But um, uh, we came uh, all gathered together uh, um, at the beach. Uh, last, actually it was two years ago when he told this story, but we, we gather every year. And so uh, dad taught the devotional that morning and the kids don't even balk. Dang, sorry. I wish I had those pictures because it has all the kids lined up on the couch. And so um, it was kind of during the Olympic time. And so he read to them out of Isaiah 51 about uh, the rock from which they were hewn. And he discussed about coming back to your roots and remembering who you were. And because I think he was just irritated by uh, some of the athletes that weren't, you know, um, pledging or uh, when the national anthem was played and that kind of thing uh, representing America. So he told them about this man, Jesse Owens. He said, um, and this was in our family devotional, all the adult kids are there because that's just, that's, they just know that when they come back to mom and dad, we're going to have some sort of family teaching or devotional. And so uh, daddy um, showed them uh, this picture of Jesse Owens who in 1936, he wanted, he actually wanted to show them uh black track stars that lived and competed <laughs> during a time of real racism is what he said. Jesse Owens would go on to win four gold medals in 1936 in Berlin, Germany. Uh, at, but right before one of his races, someone stole his shoes and he had to run in borrowed pair of shoes. And later he found them in the garbage. Adolf Hitler was in the stands when Jesse won, uh, ran and won. And Adolf left the stadium when Jesse Owens stood on that podium and saluted our flags. The national anthem was played. And then let's see the next slide. I think this is Jesse Owens running. There you go. Looks like a good strapping strong man. And then let's do the next slide. And then a few decades later came along this little gal called William, Will, Wilma Rudolph. And she came from a very poor home in Tennessee, large 
family. She had to wear little braces on her legs until she was 12 years old. And she began competing running uh, by the time she was 16. She'd overcome these obstacles. And she ran her first Olympic race at 20. And she would go on to win three gold medals and become known as the fastest woman in the world uh, through that. Let's see that next slide. Jesse and Wilma didn't let their disadvantages, there's Wilma, didn't let their disadvantages or stress or racism stop them from overcoming. So now this is all daddy teaching this to the kids, the adult kids now uh, from overcoming. They paved the way for future black American athletes to compete and proudly represent their nation to the world. So can you see when you teach your children these kind of stories of victories achieved, not atrocities that might have occurred to, uh, or, or the thought of, you know, an atrocity, that it helps to deepen their reservoir uh, for them to draw upon when adversary or adversity or pressures of life occur. So instead of my children, who by many intents and purposes, the world will say they're black, they look black, that instead of them thinking, oh, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a victim. Uh, instead, they have these stories of Jesse Owens and Wilma Randolph in them. And they know, wait a minute, I can be a victor. I want to be able to uplift. I, I've stood on the shoulders of great people that have done great things. I want to be a part of, of those that have gone before me. Let's see the next slide. It's so interesting. I recently heard a conversation. We were in the car. Uh, between uh, my uh, Frankie, 25-year-old, uh, and my daughter, Mary Alice, who's 23. And uh, Mary Alice in the car said, oh, I just, I just listened to Ben Shapiro. I had no idea Mary Alice even knew who Ben Shapiro was. She's like, yeah, I, I kind of like to listen to him. And she and Frankie were talking and she said that she, um, Ben Shapiro, Shapiro had Candace Owens on and Candace Owens said that Black Lives Matters was the greatest lie that has ever been told. And then Frankie said, yeah, you know, if you, and then Frankie likes Kanye West, who sat in front of us at the, at the fashion show last night. <laughs> He's an interesting guy, but I kind of, I kind of respect, I not kind of, I do respect him. So Frankie, so they're having this conversation. Sorry, I took a side note there. And Frank goes, yeah, you know, if you don't buy into the narrative of Black Lives Matters, they will turn on you. Um, and Kanye West didn't, didn't go along with that narrative uh, of, of what Black Lives Matter was peddling. And he has some different opinions about uh, how different races have played upon the black community. And so they're talking about this. In fact, Frankie's like, yeah, mom, you don't even know Kanye West, the, his, the last four albums he produced were gospel albums. And he might've, you know, uh, had a past that was not consistent with godly living, but he is a story of redemption, mom. You need to, because they know I like to listen to gospel music. You need to listen, download his gospel albums on your playlist. And then Frankie said, and because he is not buying the narrative of Black Lives Matters, that all of the entertainment industry and, and all of even, he said that JP Morgan locked up his accounts. So my children, because when you teach them these stories of true heroes, they can discern truth from error, you know, and, and um, uh, lies that are being perpetuated. And I just thought that was in interesting that they, that conversation that, uh, you know, that they were having in the back of the car uh, recently. 
So when you do these kind of things, you teach your children to be happy warriors and patriots. They will do that if you raise them to be that way. You raise them on these stories of empowerment that you teach in your home. And that will be the same with the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. If you teach them to understand the Constitution, to revere and respect our Founding Fathers, they will, they will, uh, they will have a, a great affection and feeling for them and for America. And we show them these things through our, our actions and our lives and what we talk about in our home. I want you to know it's never too late. If some of you, I get this all the time, moms will say, oh, I wish I had known these things now. My kids are out of home. I say, let's see the next slide. It's never too late to begin to do something to shore up your kids. So four out of my five kids are gone. So what I do is for, for like five years now, I send a little devotional almost every day. This is the devotional I think I sent out on Monday um, where I give a little quote and then I give a scripture and then I just talk about, you know, some of the things that mom and dad or anyone that we're all doing and I send pictures. So here uh, I wrote hurt people, hurt people, love, loved people, love people. And then I give a little uh, verse from Luke. It says, her sins, which were many are forgiven for she loved much. Thy faith saved you, go in peace. That was the woman with the alabaster jar. And then I, I, I texted uh, them. I love this thought. When we see bad behavior or exhibit it ourselves, let's reflect on the motivation behind it. When you understand who you are, when you study and ponder and live the master's teaching, you want to love much. God's simple command to love him and love others should be our guiding star in mortality. The ability to love much like the woman with the alabaster box who watched, washed Jesus's feet with her hair and tears should be our example because she loved much. Her much sins were forgiven. Let's press forward, not focusing on our past or other shortcomings, but follow him in, in his loving footsteps. And then, uh, um, and then I think I, uh, then I sent a few pictures and I just talked about how daddy, we got off the plane. We went to an event in Nashville by Jason Whitlock from the Blaze paper, a Blaze network, uh, Glenn Beck's network about men rising up and being men. It was so wonderful. I talked about it in class yesterday. So I'll send pictures to the kids and I'll give a little commentary. So that's how in my mothering heart, even though my kids are kind of spread out throughout the country, I still am bearing witness to them. And, and, you know, maybe I don't do it every day, but I actually I do it about four or five times a week. And they mostly never respond to the fa uh, family devotional. It's like, it must go in the black hole because no one says anything. But from time to time, they'll mention certain things that from the family devotional. So I know, ha ha, they are reading it. So this is just something that God put on my heart to still kind of shore up my adult children. You could do something like that with your grandchildren. You could, you know, maybe they're teenagers or little, or I love, you know, the whole idea of Gammy, Debbie, uh, you know, doing a little FaceTime with them every night or what God put on my heart to continue to shore up and have a text devotional, if you will, to my children. Okay, let's see our next slide. Alex de Tocqueville said, America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. It is not our government or the wealth or the beautiful you know, topography, our soils, our beaches, our mountains uh, that ensures this republic or freedom. It is our goodness, mothers. And if we cease to be good, this American experiment will run its course. 
but I want you to know goodness has not ceased. You are here tonight at eight and nine o'clock at night or the dinner hour and you are here. And it gives me such great hope to know that, you know, this goodness rises up in the homes all across America. You are the epitome of good homes. The spirit of America is alive. It just needs to be awakened. This should be our personal quest as his mothers, as his daughters, as his grandmothers, that there is no place like home with his goodness to be fostered. Liberty does begin at home. And we women hold the key. We are the keepers of the flame and we must do everything in our power, mamas, to pass on that flame to make sure that it burns bright and that it continues to be a light on the hill and a beacon of hope to the world. Indeed, the greatest acts of patriotism that will ever occur will occur within the four walls of the homes of America. So that ends our class today. Mamas, I hope that uh, you came to class with your jammies on. See, I just assume it's nine o'clock everywhere. I'm on East Coast time. Maybe you're, <laughs> you haven't even eaten dinner yet, but I appreciate you joining with us. Um, let's look at those little discussion questions. Actually, I'm going to turn it over to Z for a few little announcements. And then I'm just going to show you the potential discussion questions that you could have if you, oh, oh, let's see. Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll pass on over that. Let's go to our discussion questions, Trustee. So if you were, you know, teaching a cottage meeting, you could watch the, you know, the, the, the videos of all the classes are 20 to 30 minutes, and then you could stop the video and discuss the questions. You could discuss them with the, your children if you were to watch, you know, the little lesson together. But um, anyways, what, what recent experiences have you had that have helped keep you anchored in hope and please tonight if any of you want to come off in just a minute and answer any of these questions I'd love to hear we're so inspired by all the things that you mothers have to say and are doing what patterns of liberty did our founding fathers leave us how can we raise up strong children like Frederick Douglass said like Dr. Carson's mother Ben Carson how can we teach our children to speak and stand for truth and aspire for greatness Number five, what are the dangers we see in society today from the breakdown of our families and how can we foster and protect its integrity? And according to those beautiful Bible verses that we read, how can we promote the cause of liberty uh, within our home? Okay, so I'm going to turn the time over to Z for a few little questions, then we'll come back and we'll have any kind of discussion. I'd love, I'd love to have some of you mamas tell us some of the things that you're doing with your in your home or with your grandchildren to help shore them up. Okay, Z. Thank you.